Happy Friday, developers. Today is September 22nd, 2023, and welcome back to our Roundup episode, where you can catch up on the episodes you missed and get a quick rundown of the past two weeks from Podrocket. So let's get started. First up, we have Aaron Francis, content creator and developer at PlanetScale, who joined us to talk about the issues PHP had for many years and why it doesn't suck anymore. So here he talks about why he wanted to focus on PHP and all its lovable quirks. From bird's eye point of view, I think PHP has a lot of baggage, right? So when I picked it up, it was, I don't know, PHP 5.0 or whatever. And the reason that I picked it up is because it was easy. And that's the reason almost everyone picked it up. And so there is, there's just a huge amount of really bad PHP that exists in the world, both legacy and beginners. And so one of the great things about PHP is it's very beginner friendly. One of the bad things about PHP is it's very beginner friendly. And so you have this huge, you have this huge population of beginners writing PHP. And I think that means that by volume, there's a lot of really bad PHP code. And that perception has lingered on. And the language itself is full of, we'll say, lovable quirks. You could call them flaws, but we'll say lovable quirks. And I think that has gotten a bad rap. And one of the reasons I made the videos, because I think people haven't looked at PHP in 10 years. But honestly, there's a lot of legacy and there's a lot of bad PHP out there. But that's just a that's just a volume problem. Because I was going to say we have people on this web development centric podcast that are JavaScript's the star of the show every day, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's no beating around the bush to say that JavaScript doesn't have baggage. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, there's so much yeah. baggage of JavaScript. So there, it's interesting to look at what ba- like what baggage is different and why it caught on a little bit more mm-hmm. than PHP in the modern day and age. In the video, in your YouTube video where you talk about PHP doesn't suck anymore, you noted 5.4, like the paramount turning point. Do you think that offered in a new like cultural shift into how the language is used to maybe not make these beginner-friendly mistakes? Is it trending yeah. in that direction? I think it's still really easy to be- to write bad PHP, but I think it's still really easy to write bad anything, frankly. So the reason I picked 5.4 is because that was maybe, I think, 11 years ago that 5.4 came out. And in 5.4, they started to like the velocity of changes and the velocity of improvements really started to pick up. And I think one of the meta points that I was trying to make in that video is, y'all, the PHP core team is working really hard and they're like continuing to adapt to this changing environment and this changing world. And my guess is that I don't remember exactly when Basecamp and Rails and Ruby started to take off, but I think that was around 2007, maybe 2006, seven, eight, something like that. And I think PHP lost a lot of people to the Rails world, the Rails ecosystem back then. And so I think a lot of people in their minds have PHP pegged back in the the early 2010s, late 2000s, right? And so one of the reasons I picked that era to go back to is it's long enough to go back to that most of these senior programmers in other languages, they remember, like they remember PHP. Everyone has gone through a PHP phase and they remember it. And so I kind of wanted to like call back to be like, hey, I bet you stopped using it back then. Well, look at all the neat stuff we have now. 
Next, we welcomed on Nolan Lawson, web developer at Salesforce, to talk about his recent blog post discussing why web components are not all bad. Here, Noel asks what use cases web components are good for. What are web components particularly well suited for? So the first case I bring up is to me like the most clear-cut case where web components can be extremely useful, really almost no downsides whatsoever, which is client-rendered leaf components. So what do I mean by that? Well, I mean a component that is at the leaf of your DOM tree. So it's kind of at the edges of your DOM tree and is fully client-rendered, like doesn't need to be server-side rendered. And some examples I give of this are something like a calendar widget or a, a rich text editor or a color picker or something like that. And what's interesting about these kind of components is, so they don't need to be server rendered typically. Usually they're going to be activated on a user input, like a click or something. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking in terms of progressive enhancement, like they are the enhancement in a sense, the rich text editor is probably, if JavaScript is not running, it's going to fall back to just a regular text area, something like that, right? So in those cases, web components are really, really well suited because what they do is they give you a very consistent standardized basis for how to pass data down and get events back up. That's basically all they do. And so the example that I give is like, I wrote an emoji picker, for instance, which I think is another one of these like, nice client rendered leaf components. And, you know, to use this thing, like all you got to do is just drop in two lines of HTML, basically. You've seen a script tag and then your emoji dash picker tag. And that is really revelatory, honestly, for people who are overwhelmed or intimidated by all the rampant complexity we have in the front end ecosystem. You know, people who don't want to deal with bundlers and an NPM and node and all this kind of stuff and frameworks, right? You can just plop it onto your HTML and then go for it. But then at the same time, like I've seen this project used in very complex SPA projects using React or using Svelte or using whatever framework people feel like using. So I think that is a really good story of how web components can run that gamut for different web developer use cases. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is there, you know, when a dev's looking at their code base and they're hoping to maybe get their feet wet a little bit, are there particular leaf nodes, like the edges of these branches that are well suited to web components? Or is there something in particular dev should be looking out for? Or could you make the case basically like any little independently rendered leaf that has some kind of interactability should be web componentized? Yeah, so I would take a step back and clarify that what I'm not saying is that in your existing app right now, which is written, let's say entirely in React, I'm not saying that what you should do is you should go through and every single color picker and emoji picker, whatever else you have in there, you should go and convert that to web components today. Like that's not really gonna buy you anything. What I'm saying instead is if you're in the market for one of these things, if you're shopping around an NPM and you're saying to yourself, hmm, I'd really like a good emoji picker, I'd really like a good rich text editor. What I would advise is to maybe not buy into the sort of what I call framework chauvinism of this idea of like, oh, my app is written in solid. I must find components that are purely written in solid mm -hmm. or, oh, I'm using Svelte. I must find components that are purely written in Svelte or Vue or React or whatever. As I mentioned, it's like, client rendered leaf component, like all you need to worry about is how you pass those props down, how the events come back up. Web components have a really well-defined contract for that. If there's a web component out there that is good and meets your criteria based on performance, accessibility, design, whatever other criteria you have, like why not use it regardless of whatever framework you happen to be using in your app? That's kind of the argument I'm making for where web components are just unambiguously just a good choice in this case. And finally, Corey House, founder and principal consultant at ReactJSConsulting.com, came on to talk about how to create reusable components and how to create effective design systems in reusable component libraries. 
Let's talk a little bit more about some of the biggest trade-offs that you t- that you touch on in usable component design. Can you go into some of the specifics for those? Yeah. When you talk about trade-offs, I think the real key of avoiding the biggest pain points of the trade-offs is designing your components in a way that balances flexibility with opinion. And by that, I mean, when we create a reusable component, it's really easy to fall into the mindset of thinking that flexibility is obviously a good thing. And as software developers, we love flexibility. We love the idea of thinking, okay, I've written this code and it is so flexible that it can solve not just the problem I need to solve, but a number of other problems that may come up in the future. That's very attractive to most developers. The Mm -hmm. problem with that mindset is the term is speculative abstractions, where we say, I'm going to try creating an abstraction that's higher level than need be right now, just because I think it might be useful in the future. And that's what I mean by speculative. So the core downside that I see with reusable components and over-indexing on them is the blowback that comes from creating components that we find aren't actually as reusable as we thought. And it's uh, Sandy Metz has the old saying that the wrong abstraction is more expensive than merely copying and pasting. And I've slightly mm-hmm. changed her quote, but it's still, that's the <laughs> core idea of it is this idea of creating an abstraction isn't win, and especially if it's speculative and premature. So w- when I see companies that are struggling with their reusable components, what they tend to have is a situation where they started creating components before they had the requisite foundation. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, they didn't have any clear target painted on the wall. What they had was often a manager or director, vice president that said, we need reusable components. We know we're going to be working in this technology for a while. So while you're building this app, go ahead and create reusable components. The problem is there, there's nothing in that recipe that actually is likely to create truly reusable components. What tends to happen there is developers fixate heavily on solving the project's problems. And then it's tangential that you happen to get some reusable components out of that. Those components tend to be heavily influenced by the very first project. So Mm -hmm. you end up in a situation where those components aren't necessarily flexible enough for other projects or even necessarily designed in a way that is indicative of the company's opinions. They're indicative of a project's opinions. Mm -hmm. So you back up slightly and what you actually need is a design system. The design system creates a target on the wall that everybody is focused on. And a lot of developers may not even be necessarily familiar with what goes into a design system because it's really more a designer's job. But A designer needs to come in first and say, we need a design system. And that means we have opinions about a color palette and typography and spacing and voice and tone. And the list goes on here, lots of different things. And by doing that, then you have very clear guardrails about what your components should look like. And that goes a long way to building components that are actually reusable. Because Mm -hmm. without that, what tends to happen is the next project comes along and there's a different designer who has a different look and feel and opinion. And so the opportunity for reuse is fostered by having a shared understanding about that foundation, which is the design system itself. 
And that's it for today, Friday, September 22nd. You can check out the full episodes linked in our show notes or on our feed. And if you like what you hear, follow PodRocket for more great web development content. See you at the next roundup. This episode was brought to you by LogRocket. Try it for free today at LogRocket.com. Thank you.